1: Hey, welcome to the Horse Hour podcast. My guest today is Jessica Isbrecht. She's from the USA and is known as the Horse Nomad.
2: I grew up in the New York metropolitan area where high-powered careers and money were extremely important and I completely fell into that mentality until my mom passed away and she was only 67 when she died and she thought that she had worked her entire life finally nearing... Age of retirement, where she would get to enjoy her horses, and that was ripped away from her.
1: This is Horse Hour. Welcome to the Horse Hour podcast. I am super excited for today's guest because, in my view, she literally has the dream life with horses. Just imagine taking your horses on the road. With the wind in your hair and nothing ahead of you except for some time with you, your partner, and uh, your favourite friends. Well, I'd like to introduce Jessica Isbrecht. She is known as the modern day horse nomad. How are you, Jess? I'm great. Thanks so much for joining us. Where in the world are you at the moment? I'm in Brawley, California, which is way
2: down south, almost at the Mexico border.
1: Oh wow, you've been kind enough to join us on the podcast today because I'm a little bit of a stalker. I have been following your journey on Facebook um, because you live, it seems to me, correct me if I'm wrong, but you live in your caravan with your horses and um, is it your boyfriend, your fiance, your husband? How are we? Are we at that stage yet? (laughs) Uh, We've We use the term husband and wife, but
2: uh, we're basically life partners in the modern sense.
1: Oh, it's so lovely. And and there's no society. It's just you guys travelling with your horses. But what I'm most fascinated with is that, that, I mean, there's so much I want to talk to you today about, Jess, from your endurance to your trail riding to how you look after your horses. But the thing that, that really caught my attention when I saw your story is that you let your horses free graze. So you could be in the wilderness, in the middle of nowhere, and you have such an immense connection with them that they won't run away. Before you even answer how you did that, I think the first thing to find out is, how did you find out that you had a love for horses in the very beginning?
2: (laughs) Well, my love for horses is definitely inherent. It's deeply embedded in my DNA. My mother loved horses from the day she was born and rode while she was pregnant with me. <laughs> she she wow. was breeding thoroughbred racehorses in New Jersey in the U.S. when I was born. And I just grew up with horses and absolutely love them. Right now, I'm actually looking at a photo on my wall that was taken when I was two years old and a filly had just been born on our farm. And she's lying curled up in the sun and I'm bending down, petting her on the neck. And that oh. horse ended up not becoming a racehorse. Um, unfortunately, she was injured, but she spent her whole life at home with me and was my horse for 23 years.
1: Oh, my goodness. I'm guessing she's, she's the horse that you did everything with your once in a lifetime, hey?
2: She was a very good friend. And when I lost her in my early adulthood, to uh, colic. It was very traumatic. It was like losing a best friend. But I seem to, I seem to always make these deep connections with my horses. Um, I've only actually owned a handful of horses in my life, and they always seem to be lifers. Uh, I'm not the kind of person who can buy a horse, train it, and sell it, even though I had those aspirations in younger years.
1: What was it that changed your mind then when, you know, if you were thinking about training and selling, um, what was it that led you to keep hold of your friends?
2: It's just the deep connection. I, I don't look at horses or even most other animals as pets or livestock, even though I also spent five years of my life as an organic farmer, raising animals for human consumption. I still looked at them as individuals with personalities, and uh, that was also an interesting (laughs) um, (laughs) ethical debate. Uh, But I really, I love horses and always have and just empathize with them
1: in taking that on on board though Jess how did you cope with when you're raising animals for food um this is an argument that I I have with my own head all the time you know I, I haven't eaten lamb for 18 years apart from by accident when my mother-in-law fed it to me and I didn't know (laughs) know, annoyingly I really enjoyed it and the guilt that I had eating you know after I realized that I'd eaten this lamb but my husband and I often talk about having more animals and you know even possibly having pigs and sheep and breeding them Um, I think well what would we breed them for well for for food, I guess, but I'm not sure that I could handle that. Um, I I think I'd fall in love with them all too much, and I'd, you know, they'd end up being pets. So how did you cope with with that struggle in your head?
2: It is a very interesting issue, and I I have an environmental training background, and I've always been concerned about the environment. So, I I kind of stumbled into the world of sustainable farming. And as I was learning more about sustainable methods, my eyes were opened to the world of industrial meat production. And it is a really horrific life for the animals that are raised in industrial settings on a large scale, because those animals are typically confined, usually in not so nice, healthy conditions. A lot of times there's overcrowding. They may not even have access to outdoors, um, and even organic can can fall prey to those those same negative qualities. Food production, especially for meat, is not as idyllic and pastoral as our food labels try to make it seem. So I decided that I wanted to raise animals for human consumption on pasture, as an alternative to industrial confinement and I I've always been an omnivore and I do enjoy consuming meat so I knew that people are always going to eat meat there's there's no turning everyone vegetarian and and that's a whole other issue but if I was going to provide meat I wanted to provide good healthy sustainably raised ethically produced meat And every time I had a customer purchase from me, that was taking money out of the big agriculture pocket. Now, granted that was not going to be, like my own farm singly was not going to make a huge impact. But what I also tried to do was advocate for pasture raising and ethical raising of meat and educate other small farmers in the area and especially consumers as to why it's important to give animals a happy, healthy life, even if they are going to be used for human consumption. Um, So when I was breeding and raising my livestock, I gave them best quality of life that I possibly could. They were free to graze, run around, Socially interact in small herds that would be more natural. And I always treated them with respect and care and nonviolent handling methods. So it was very interesting. Two of the animals that I really focused on on my farm were hogs and turkeys. And both of those animals commonly receive the worst possible treatment in industrial production facilities. So I, I kind of took it upon myself to advocate for them. And I gave many presentations at farming conferences to educate other farmers in ways to raise these animals uh, humanely. And I also focused... there's
1: a big push. There's a big push over in the UK at the moment. Uh, we've, we, I don't know if it's a, a worldwide phenomenon. Everybody seems to be going vegan, um, but over here the farmers are all saying, "Look, we are ethical. You know, we do look after our our, our, our cows and our pigs and our our, anim- our livestock. They're not all treated inhumanely. They're not all they're not all um, held in confined spaces. And sustainable living and sustainable farming is um, is now." coming to the forefront so um for people that weren't aware of how farmers carry themselves and how animals are looked after um we're definitely getting a bit more of an an eye opener into how they're treated over here i've got to ask you a question just just moving on to horses i think it's amazing what you've done jess just as you're talking about hogs in the new forest which is uh we've got two huge forests in the uk the new forest and dartmoor we have wild horses living there. They're semi wild. We also have uh, wild livestock—cows, pigs, uh, and even some sheep on there—and um, they're semi wild because they're owned by commoners, uh, but they're allowed to roam freely. Again, this uh, sustainable living where they can help the uh, help the land regrow. Um, The question is, when the pigs go out onto the New Forest, many horses are really afraid of them. And I heard a myth that it was because traditionally, hogs used to eat horses. Is that true? (laughs) Uh, I can neither confirm nor
2: deny that myth, (laughs) but wild hogs... Is it hogs or boars, actually? Are they the same thing? Well, wild boar is a common term... A general term for a wild hog, but technically, boar is an uncastrated male of any breed. Mm. So there are all kinds of breeds. And um, actually, I'm very passionate about heritage breed livestock as well. So the hog breeds that I had on my farm were all very old breeds, and many of them were derived from the UK. Oh wow! And actually, one of my one of my horses is also a heritage breed from England, a Cleveland Bay.
1: Oh, amazing! The saying goes that horses are notoriously afraid of pigs because they they hate their smell. Because traditionally, or uh, over over years of evolution, and um, the wild boars or the hogs used to kill them and chase them, and and the horses were their prey. Um, and there's many horses <laughs> I've seen over the years go ballistic any sign of a scent of a pig and, and they will literally spin and run and i think you know we can tr- potentially train our horses to not be so afraid of the pigs um mine's not too afraid anymore but it's kind of ingrained in them so how did yours react to your other livestock were they were they bothered by any of them or did they all just settle in together quite nicely well i
2: think as with anything, it just takes exposure. I mean, horses are instinctually afraid of a flapping plastic bag, and that's not because plastic bags hunt them and kill them. (laughs) (laughs) So um, when my horse Mackenzie was living with me on my farm, she would be turned out in a pasture next to a herd of pigs, and the first few times there was lots of running around and snorting, and then Over time, she just became more and more accustomed and eventually, I think, became very familiar with them. And there's actually a funny story. After we shut down the farm in New Jersey and moved out into our mobile lifestyle, I sold a couple of my best sows to a friend with a farm in New York State. And we we spent about six months traveling and then stopped by her place to visit and Mackenzie, my horse, was with me, and we turned her out in a 20-acre pasture adjacent to where the hogs were pastured, and I swear to you, she must have recognized them, and because she was alone, we, we only had one horse at that point, I, I, I swear, I think she recognized the pigs, and they <laughs> they ran together along the fence line, kind of Jumping around and playing before she settled down. It wasn't a fear response. She had 20 acres. She ran directly towards them and galloped playfully along the fence line. It's
1: amazing, isn't it?
2: It's just exposure.
1: Yeah, you know, they do, they do get bonds. Um, We see it quite clearly, they get bonds with each other. And I remember taking my horse away from a herd for a couple of years, and being so shocked and surprised when I came back that they remembered, you know, their field mates. And I thought, well, why wouldn't they remember? Of course they can remember. Um, Which I I often wonder when we take our foals away from their mums, so young, and sometimes so violently by ripping them away. I think does that traumatize them to the extent that to the extent that we're causing them damage by doing that because they're going to remember I think they're going to remember their mums but then I'm not experienced in breeding do you you, have you seen that before where someone's remembered their parent
2: personally I don't have experience with that but I emotionally agree with that um maybe if they're so young they might not recognize the individual but Certainly at more mature points in a horse's development, when you remove them from a herd and then they encounter an individual that they've known in the past, they definitely do recognize them.
1: Absolutely. So how did you move on then to shutting down your farm, as you said, in New Jersey, and then heading out onto a mobile life? Well, uh,
2: my mother was diagnosed with a rare form of lymphoma in uh, 2012. And unfortunately, thank you. Unfortunately, it was so advanced by the time it was discovered that she only lasted another six weeks. And that was a great shock to me. I, I was an only child. And my mother was very important to me. She was basically my best friend. And it just rocked my world when I lost her. So I I changed everything about my my life and my perspective on life. So Mm. honoring her memory and trying to heal myself emotionally was what led to me beginning my organic and sustainable farm. And I did that for five years and it eventually became successful. So I felt like I had completed a sort of mission. And then at the same time, it was taking a toll on my body physically. And because I now view life as potentially fleeting, I, I didn't want to spend the time I have on earth constantly physically and emotionally stressed with, with running this farm business. So my partner Byron and I decided that We wanted to travel more and enjoy life. So we are, we're rock climbers and it's very common in the rock climbing community for people to live in a van and just bum around traveling to different climbing areas and uh, just, just living a very free life. So that idea was very interesting to us, but because I'm, I needed to keep my horse, Uh, Mackenzie, actually belonged to my mother, and I inherited her when my mom passed away. It was an absolute deal breaker if we were going to travel and not have the horse with us. So I started doing research, and I discovered that there are actually people in the U.S. living on the road full-time with their horses, and that gave me a lot of encouragement, and I, I started creating a plan to find places where we could camp and live with our horses and cross-referenced great trail riding destinations with good rock climbing destinations, and we kind of formulated this plan of traveling around the U.S.,
1: was Byron interested in horses before you guys met or is this something that you, know, you, you, you kind of trained him <laughs> to get on board at the same time?
2: He is a city boy. He grew up on Staten Island in New York and um, didn't even have pets until he was an adult. Uh, so I introduced him to Mackenzie on our second date, I think, and he... He was curious and showed no fear, so I took that as a really good sign, and probably uh, one of the reasons we we got together. And I knew there was future potential. Um, but he he was not. He humored me by allowing me to give him riding lessons and take him on a couple trail rides. But he really had no deep interest in horses. The horses were always my thing, but. Um, Eventually, after he joined me either on foot or on his mountain bike while I was riding on a trail, uh, he discovered that it would be a heck of a lot easier to also be on a horse. (laughs) So we did finally end up purchasing a horse for him.
1: And in the meantime, you're traveling, uh, just the three of you with Mackenzie. Did you ever worry that, uh, because you know horses are herd animals, did you ever worry that she'd be a bit lonely, not having another horse to to play with and be with?
2: Yeah, absolutely. her Her well being was my biggest concern, and even though made all of these plans to give up our our life, essentially, I always said from day one of the planning that if if anything went wrong and this life did not suit her, we would settle down again and I would give it up. So I was very concerned, but she had lived alone multiple times throughout the course of her life. And I knew that she was capable of doing it. And I was in the back of my mind, always planning for the day that we got a second horse. So for the first six months, She did have to travel with us alone, but we were staying at horse campgrounds where there were usually other horses around. Maybe not all the Mm -hmm. time, but at least on the weekends when other people were visiting. So she did have some equine companionship.
1: And you've had her for forever so you know like you said earlier the connection that you guys had must have been so strong that really she she just needs you around some I find some horses really do bond really well with humans and and not so much with other horses you know they just love human companionship whilst other Horses take or leave a human, um, but they really need to have that other horse interaction. Um, So, how did you then go from, so, had you been on the road for six months and then you decided to get another horse? Is that what you said, six months? Yeah it was six months. Um, so after six months how did you then think about purchasing your next horse? It it took me three months to find my horse and that was after a year of planning. <laughs> so how do you go when you're on the road and you're traveling and um, you know you're probably in a different part of the country to then go and think oh I need another horse. Where do you start looking?
2: Well it, it was last winter. Um, we were We were spending three months in Arizona at a horse campground and there they had very nice covered runs, you know, very secure corrals and stabling as well as a round pen. So I thought, well, if we're ever going to get another horse, this is the perfect time because I have good secure facilities. We're staying put for a little while so we can have that getting to know you period and there is uh, a safe place to do some training. So actually, the, the first horses we looked at were Mustangs that had been caught in the wild and then transferred to a prison in Arizona where the inmates do the initial gentling and training of the horses.
1: is not there just been a movie made about this place?
2: Yeah, there have been quite a few movies and documentaries and um, it
1: was a really, really cool
2: experience to go there and actually go to the, the training facility, see the inmates working the horses through the different obstacles, and to see every stage from a completely untouched wild Mustang or wild burrow to a, a trained saddle horse that had been working on the prison's ranch for a few years. But unfortunately, uh, because I not only wanted a horse that would be suitable for trail riding, I wanted a horse that might potentially be used for endurance competition as well. I was very particular about the confirmation. And the horses that were available at that time did not have the the confirmation that I wanted. So we we started looking in um, the private sector as well, and I was looking for a gated horse in particular because Byron had expressed an interest in a very smooth horse that he could enjoy riding. He wasn't a fan of a bumpy trot. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So um, I befriended, I I found the horse that we own now through a friend who spotted her on a Craigslist ad and um, Ironically, she was only ten minutes away from the campground we were staying at. So on the Saturday before Christmas, we popped over to their place and rode her around their tiny fenced yard and down Mm -hmm. the local road, and uh, said, "Okay, you know, we'll we'll think about it and let you know." I, I had no intention of purchasing the for- the first horse that we actually looked at, but um, <laughs> she called me the owner called me back later that day and said, "Hey, somebody's coming down tonight and they say they're just gonna buy her outright, but I thought I would give you first refusal. So Byron and I kind of talked it over and uh, you know, I knew this could just be a ploy to get rid of the horse. But um, we discussed the pros and cons and really thought there's not that much to lose. She's healthy and well-built. So if there's something wrong and she doesn't suit us, we can, we can find her a new home. So that's River. And uh, she's a 10-year-old Tennessee walking horse mare. And she has turned into a fantastic beginner safe trail horse. As well as an endurance mount.
1: So, Jess, I never ever would have imagined that a Tennessee walking horse would be suitable for trail riding or, let alone, endurance. Um, did she, had she been trained as a walking horse previously? Because, bearing in mind, first of all, excuse my ignorance and my naivety, but over here, all we ever see is horrific pictures of the abuse that goes on with Tennessee walking horses and how they have to lift their legs so high and how people put chains around their ankles and I know obviously you always get bad sides to certain disciplines but very rarely do I ever see anything good and and so even the thought of a Tennessee walking horse at the moment breaks my heart so maybe you could tell us you know what is it really about?
2: Yeah I I have very strong negative feelings against the Tennessee walkers that are used in show rings and I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to disparage anyone or or comment too much on that. But it's it's obvious to anyone with any kind of empathy and feelings <laughs> that mm-hmm. that the practices used in the show ring are not ethical. So um, the Tennessee Walking Horse breed was actually developed for plantation overseers to have a very sturdy horse with uh, good endurance who could carry them miles and miles and miles across the fields while doing so comfortably. So um, the Tennessee Walker is a a really great riding horse and they tend to be very sensible uh, with good personalities. Some of them are, are very prized for those show ring gates that you've seen. River, on the other hand, (laughs) (laughs) probably if she was bred to be a show horse, she definitely failed there because she does not have the smooth running walk or the fancy racking gait that a show ring horse has. She does what's called a stepping pace, which is a a two-beat gait where the legs on each side move together. So both legs on the left side, step forward, both legs on the right side, step forward. Um, That's commonly seen in harness racing horses. For instance, it is not a comfortable riding gait. Uh, (laughs) And Mm -hmm. I have, I have been working with her to try to encourage her to do a smoother running walk or a rack um but it is it's a it's an ongoing process (laughs) (laughs) uh and i'm not i'm not an experienced gated horse trainer so i'm kind of learning as well but um uh i think that's why we found such a deal on her but she (laughs) she definitely makes up for the lack of comfort with uh with just other quality horse attributes. <laughs> mm. So to me, she's she's indispensable and irreplaceable at this point.
1: Yeah. What was the meeting like between River and Mackenzie? Well, Mackenzie has a,
2: uh, how shall I put it, a very particular personality to begin with. Um, mm. She she has a very large personal space bubble, and she's also extremely possessive and sometimes defensive so she had bonded with me and Byron very strongly because we were we were a family we were living together alone when she did encounter other horses they were coming and going all the time so we were our own herd and when River showed up and started stealing some of our attention she definitely became envious and would pin her ears at River and try to push her away and um, to try to encourage them to bond I stabled them in stalls next to each other uh, which were just open pipe fencing so that they could touch each other over the fence and uh, get to know each other but even to this day Mackenzie sometimes tries to push River around especially at feeding time and uh, when she feels like she's too close she'll she'll kind of nip or, or try to push her out of the Mm -hmm. way by striking. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's just her personality, but they are extremely bonded now. And um, the four of us are our own little herd. And uh, Mm -hmm. I frequently ride by myself with the two horses. And initially I would ride river who is very calm and relaxed and not defensive about her space and i would pony Mackenzie, and Mackenzie would just follow along and we would have no problems that way if i try to do it the other way around Mackenzie gets a little upset with river being by her flank um so that's another oh. another bit of training i'm working on but uh yeah. eventually <laughs>
1: it could just be a mare thing you know mares well it is that too of- <laughs> It's lovely to hear that when you're traveling, you're, you're stalling in different places, you're stopping and staying at, you know, local yards. Um, but I have seen pictures and um, in your blog that you do of when you actually stay out, outdoors in the wilderness with both River and Mackenzie, and they can free graze. How did you move on from stopping in different stables to, to being brave enough to just let your horses graze freely without the fear that they're going to run off?
2: that developed over time and exposure we discovered that camping out in the wilderness is our favorite way to live Um, it might be a little bit more inconvenient because shopping and feed stores are usually pretty far away and maybe i have to haul water in buckets out of a nearby creek but it's really wonderful just being out in nature and it just, it, it occurred through baby steps. So as the horses bonded, I would I progressed from ponying Mackenzie to just taking her off the lead and going for a ride with her following along. And then when we would be riding together, um, Byron and I, maybe, maybe we've gone 10 miles up into the mountains and we stop where there's a nice lush meadow, we eventually got to the point where we trusted the horses to be happy to stop and graze. So we would stay, you know, within within reach uh, if one of them decided they wanted to start back to the trailer or something. But we would just let them loose while we were taking a break on the trail. And then... And then eventually, when we were camping in an area that was very remote, I felt comfortable in very short periods letting the horses
1: loose. Uh... Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate
2: the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. I started out with keeping one on a lead rope and the other loose while we walked around and grazed together in the forest or the meadows. And then eventually I would just throw the rope over the horse's back so that if they did take off, I would have a way to grab them and catch them. Mm-hmm. And then eventually I got so comfortable that I just took the lead rope off of both of them and would hang out with them. And it just it just kind of evolved that way. Um, I do I do use positive reinforcement with the horses and they are both extremely food motivated. So I knew that if they ever did disappear for a short period of time, I would most likely find them <laughs> in some place that had good grass and you know when we when we camp in an area for any extended period of time and ride the trails both the horses and the humans identify these places with, with good food options, and usually we stop and graze after a trail ride. So I always keep it in the back of my mind that if they were to break free at night because they were spooked by a bear or some other wildlife, I would probably either find them in the morning waiting for their breakfast at the camp, or they would be just mm-hmm. down the trail in the grassy meadow.
1: Did you have it's... any hairy moments? Because the thought of, you know, I, I hadn't even thought about bears. But you're right, you know, that's you're, it's actually quite dangerous, isn't it? Mm,
2: not as dangerous as you would think. The only time I was slightly nervous was when we were camping in grizzly bear country. The people in that horse camp did tell me that it was common for a bear to walk through camp and check things out and see if they could find any horse feed. But I just try to be conscious of that and careful with my my food and my feed and keep it in airtight containers that won't release the smell because I did discover when we were camping in New Hampshire in the Northeast US we did have a black bear try to break into the feed bins one night oh my god but we haven't had as many close encounters as as you would think for how much wilderness camping we actually do and the horses have gotten out of their fencing at night occasionally. So I use electric fencing so that I can create a corral or a paddock as large as I want to. And in certain areas, the ground is extremely dry and sandy, and it doesn't conduct electricity as well as moist, wet ground does. So River was not as familiar with electric fence when we first started traveling with her. So she tended to test it more than Mackenzie would. Mackenzie will never touch it or break through it no matter what. So a couple nights I did hear hoofbeats <laughs> outside <laughs> my window. And uh, all I have to do is go outside and get a feed can and shake the grain in the feed can and they come running. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's very, very helpful. And honestly, I, I just trust them I, I put the faith in them that they know that i have their best interests in mind and i know that they associate us the humans and our trailer as home and they are essentially territorial in that aspect or in that sense and i think raising raising hogs on pasture in my previous life as a mm-hmm. farmer really helped me understand these these territorial homing instincts that herd animals have because imagine mm-hmm. a herd of 60 hogs on a five acre pasture with just electric fence around them uh, I really had to have a lot of faith in in my understanding of the animals behavior to feel comfortable living in that kind of situation without a secure perimeter fence around our farm and there were plenty of times when the electric fence would stop working properly and a bunch of pigs would be running loose and (laughs) you know it just it just (laughs) takes training and positive experiences in order for them to associate you with food and Mm -hmm. safety and just providing a, a comfortable place for the animal to live that they want to come back to. So I feel like the horses are pretty much the same way.
1: How old was River when you when you bought her? Uh,
2: the seller told me that she was eight, but I don't have papers, so I don't know for sure.
1: So she's, she, you know, she's young enough, because uh, they say, you know, can you teach old horses? Can you teach old dogs new tricks? Can you teach old horses? Um, She was old enough to know a routine, so it's very much... And when I say a routine, I mean stabling, riding. You know w- what her life was, um, but it's a very different lifestyle. So it's it's just fascinating. I think as a youngster, they don't know any different. You know, so if you if you'd bought a foal and then introduced them to this life, they wouldn't know any different because they'd only know that known that life. But for River, she's known a very different life, um, and I just find it fascinating how quickly they adapt to things and how horses just allow us to do whatever we want to them. And they have so much trust and so much faith. And I just think they're amazing.
2: Yeah, I agree. And Mackenzie was 13 when we left for our grand adventure. And it it is just incredible how quickly the horses can adapt to a new lifestyle.
1: Have you had any moments, Jess, where you've thought, ah, oh, this is, you know... This was pretty bad. You know, it was a pretty bad experience and you've potentially considered not doing things because of the horses or uh, because of, you know, your health.
2: Sometimes there are headaches and challenges that come along with this lifestyle. Um, It's definitely not easy and it's not for everyone. Sometimes it can be challenging to find a safe and suitable place to camp We ran into a situation where just a few months ago in California, we attended an endurance ride on the east side of California, almost by Nevada. And then we wanted to go west all the way to the coast to another endurance ride that was happening there. But we had a two-week time period between the two events. And it became apparent (laughs) after five days of struggling to find a safe suitable place to stay with our horses that this area of Santa Barbara County was just not horse camping friendly even though there was tons of national forest and technically national forest is public land where we should be able to camp. Um, It was just the terrain and and regulations in that local area that became very challenging. So that was really our only kind of bummer situation. And we did manage to find a way through it due to the kindness of, of friends and acquaintances and strangers who became new friends. Um, But for me, it's, it's worth it. I, I don't have a problem with, Struggling a little bit sometimes because the payoffs the rest of the time to have the freedom to live in all of these incredibly spectacularly beautiful places in nature is completely worth it.
1: Sounds amazing. I do wonder how you pay for things though. How do you buy your feed? Well, luckily, Byron was
2: able to keep his IT job and works remotely. So that was also a, a factor in deciding to take off on this lifestyle we knew that we could keep an income coming in and then um, I do some part time sales and marketing work remotely for a friend's company in New Jersey and I've been spending a lot of time cataloging and journaling our experiences with the hope of of making a book in the future
1: oh my goodness that would be amazing are you a photographer as well (laughs) I have always aspired to be a photographer
2: but I am nowhere near as good as I wish I could be and all of my photos are taken on my cell phone (laughs) thank goodness (laughs) cell phones have good cameras nowadays because I ride with it in my
1: pocket and then just pull it out and snap
2: photos and videos as we're going down the trail
1: you know they just someday in in, years ago Polaroids used to be like really amazing cameras as we know and now we still love Polaroids we love looking at photos from Polaroids you know from back in the day so sometime in the future they're going to say do you remember that cell phone when you used to have a camera on a cell phone (laughs) and then there's going to be Jess's book of all her photos from her cell phone and it will be amazing so You don't need a huge camera. Just um it's the moments. It's capturing the moments. I think that's what's so special.
2: Yeah, I love it. I I'm a very poor written journaler. So I I really keep a record through photographs. They're very important Mm -hmm. to
1: me. I'm also no good at writing, which is why I do a podcast. I can talk for a living. (laughs) But don't ask me to write an article. (laughs)
2: Yeah, I feel kind of the same way. Um, when we started the blog, we had intentions of, of writing a post every single week, and that just hasn't happened. And I'm just terrible at writing in a, in a more formal format. I'm very good at telling stories through Facebook, which seems much more informal, and other social media platforms like Instagram. But um, I also was inspired to start my podcast about trail riding, because I, I thought it would be a little bit easier to talk and tell stories through audio instead of the pressure of writing and having perfect grammar.
1: <laughs> and you've got, you know, 10, 10 kilometers that you're riding all the time. You're going on all these trail rides. You can record whilst you're riding along. I'd love to hear what you see and what you get up to. Yeah, that's, that
2: would be really interesting to have a segment from The Saddle. So that's been an idea, too.
1: Well, maybe one day you could phone us from the saddle when you're on a ride and um, you can give us an update of how, how you're getting on and where you're going. And we could check in every few months and see what you're up to. Sure thing. That would be fun. <laughs> well, because you're inspiring me, so you're bound to inspire everybody else. I mean, I can't wait to go and get on, get on my horse and go for a ride. Because Jess, we're consumed by fear. Not everybody. I, there are some super brave people out there that are just amazing. But my life is just one big fear ball, to be honest. <laughs> I'm scared that you know something's going to go wrong, and I'm not going to be able to get help, or that I've got no signal on my phone, or um, you know, that the horse is going to spook, and, and and I guess too 2020 the new year's resolution for me is to get out there and do more and that's why I love speaking to people like you that are you're so calm and you're just like no it's okay it's just me and my horses and every little girl imagines you know galloping out in the forest just being free and it seems that you have built yourself this very free lifestyle which is amazing.
2: Yeah, thank you. And you're not the first person to comment on my lack of fear and confidence when it comes to riding out, but I I look at it as as something that I built up to. It's not like it's not like I just jumped into riding in the wilderness overnight. I spent years building a relationship with my horse so that I could trust her and she could trust me and we could ride out safely and then i mean i grew up i grew up with horses thoroughbreds which which were a little bit more high strung than than a calm draft horse and i've seen horrible accidents and injuries and wrecks i've seen horses panic in a trailer and hurt themselves i've seen horses panic and bolt and break a leg and need to be put down. I've seen all of the bad things that can go wrong and I am acutely aware of them. But what I try to do is manage all of the aspects of a trip or a ride or a travel event in order to mitigate all of the potential risks. So, you know, Training is a is a big part of that, and not just training the horse, training the person. You know, you have to train yourself to be a confident driver when you're hauling a horse trailer. You have to train yourself to be detail oriented and look at all of the the potential safety pitfalls or preparedness. Um, just being prepared for things is half the battle, and that just that's just a matter of information and experience. So I think everybody should get out of their comfort zone a little bit and just dip your toe into doing something fun and interesting that you aspire to. And that doesn't have to be an entire lifestyle of traveling and riding. It you know, it could just be you want to take your horse to a particular show, but you're afraid to go there because you're afraid of being judged. Just get out and try it and become more comfortable with it
1: I cannot stand people that judge others it oh it just makes my blood boil and I think you know we need to create a world where we support each other and where we can actually learn and grow
2: along the lines of of fear of being judged I have a a quick little story to tell you this past weekend I went to a gymkhana are you familiar with that term
1: Oh my! Amazing. Yes, we love a Jim Okay. <laughs> I, well, I, I I I connect Jim with being a child, and you have to go round some uh, poles, and then you jump on the horse and off the horse, and it's just super fun.
2: Yeah. Well, down here in Southern California, they take them a little more seriously. So you have not only kids competing, but adults all the way up into their seventies who are pretty serious. Barrel racers and um, I'd coming from the East Coast and primarily riding hunt seat, I wasn't even aware of all of the variations of barrel and pole patterns that they have competitions for. But anyway, I've been um, for the last six weeks, I've been helping a friend start her um, coming four year old Arabian gelding. And um, six weeks ago, he had never really had anyone ride him. He had had given someone a pony ride sitting in the saddle a couple of times. So I've been working with him um, completely outdoors without an arena or anything, uh, riding through gigantic open farm fields to get him working safely. So anyway, the owner told me about this Gymkhana that her local saddle club was putting on. And I suggested that we take this young gelding just for exposure. And I wasn't even planning on entering in a class. I thought we would just go and, you know, ride around the warm-up arena or whatever. But um, as I thought about it, I, I thought, you know what? Why don't we just enter him in a class or two? And I will literally walk the pattern if I have to. I don't feel any pressure to do it quickly like everyone else will. and there was there was a there was a part of me that was very conscious of of being judged in the eyes of these serious Western writers because I was planning on riding in my my full seat English breeches and with a helmet and a safety vest and you know I I would definitely look like the odd man out and I sure did I I went and we trotted through two barrel racing patterns and it was it ended up being a wonderful experience even though I was initially very nervous going into it because I I was very concerned about what these people would think of me <laughs> looking so different from them and and riding a horse so differently in their event.
1: But, but what, an, what, what an amazing experience is that and you know to be able to showcase to them a different style of riding and a different type of riding I think you're super brave doing that. Yeah and I
2: felt very good about it too because even though he was the least experienced horse there he was the calmest and certainly seemed the happiest (laughs) whereas Mm -hmm. some of these more experienced horses were unstoppable you know the rider couldn't couldn't really control them and uh i i felt very good showing that a horse can be ridden in a snaffle bit with a a light hand and and still go out there as as a young three-year-old.
1: You know, I think the one thing that I've learned over the years is that we are so quick to assume that everybody judges negatively, but actually they could have been looking at you thinking, wow, what a great rider, you know, look how lovely her horse is and look how great she's doing. But our natural human fear is that people are going to think negatively about you. And it brings me back to a couple of years ago. um, There's a horse show over here called Badminton. It's, It's massive. And I remember an Italian rider coming out. And he caught my attention because he smiled the whole way through his dressage test. Literally from start to finish. It was his debut at Badminton. He was so excited and he just looked so happy and I was surrounded by people who I, I asked a couple of them I said when he'd finished what are your thoughts he had a huge cheer afterwards and they said it's so lovely to see him enjoy himself and for him that's what that moment was all about I spoke to him afterwards and he said I, you know obviously he wanted to be successful he wanted to score well um but he was so proud that his horse he wasn't even proud of himself he was a proud that he had trained his horse to a level where he was competing and got into, de- into badminton. And it was a, a, a lifelong dream of his. And I kind of hope that maybe it's different, Jess, because we're adults now. So we can come in from a, a, a more, a different perspective, I guess. Um, but maybe we need to just be taking those moments and, and trying really hard to, to not let other people's thoughts or looks um, and just assume that they're negative. Because I think most people kind of aren't that mean, really. Well, I hope they're not anyway.
2: <laughs> yeah, I agree completely. And I did get quite a few compliments from people on the day that Jim Connor complimenting the horse and how great he was and my, my work with him. But it is, it is such an instinctual human response to worry what everyone in society is going to think of you. And um, Mm. I think those instinctual fears are in that particular situation. We realize that that kind of fear is unwarranted, but then in other aspects of our lives and work with horses, like you were saying, you, you are riddled with all kinds of fears when it comes to riding. You're not making the same connection. You know what I'm saying? Like those fears that you have, you think are valid, but they might be just as silly as this idea that people are going to judge you negatively if you write English at a Western event.
1: Absolutely. It could also be if I think from a personal level that I'm so used to being afraid of being judged that I probably just wing it anyway now and I'm just used to fronting it out. <laughs> you talk a lot about um training yourself and training your horse and it seems that you're fortunate you have quite a few friends in different places um are there people that help you with your riding or is there anything you know do you look on the internet do you get tips from other people where do you progress your relationship your care for your horses and um, and your own skills
2: Well, growing up, my mother was my primary instructor. We did not have a large disposable income, so we didn't have money to send me to proper trainers and coaches. And my mother's knowledge with horses, though extensive, was pretty much gained almost entirely through self-education and just being around more experienced horse people who could act as mentors. I've always carried that curiosity and self-discovery and um, taken a responsibility to educate myself uh, in all aspects of horse care and training. And I am by no means an expert. Uh, I've, I have spent my entire life dedicated to horses and um, that's a decent amount of time, but there is still so much more to learn. But I do love learning. And I love being around people and exposed to all different disciplines and breeds. And I just kind of insert myself into these communities in order to learn more. And most recently, that's been in endurance.
1: You know, I'm suddenly thinking, we're, we're really lucky. We have so many horse hour friends and um, guests all over the world, uh, many in America. I feel like you should just tap into our network and go and see some of them and send us some photos of you being with um, just just people that have been on the show because they're all experts that are fascinating and have their own stories to tell. You've got that opportunity to, <laughs> to meet so many people. One thing's interviewing them, you know, on a podcast. And getting to hear those experiences and hear those stories. Um, but you really get to live that, Jess.
2: Yeah, and I do love social media and other forms of media that have communities built around them like podcasts. and I have I have managed to make more friends by traveling with my horses through these various connections than I probably would have by just staying put at home and it is a really unique experience and situation to be in and um, it it makes it less lonely being out here because we don't have as many social uh, opportunities for social interaction (laughs) while traveling Mm -hmm. all over the place and living in remote locations.
1: So do you travel literally every day of the year or or do you have some form of home base that you go back to?
2: Life would be very difficult if we traveled every single day. Um, This this past calendar year, we did pick up and move camp 35 times over the course of the entire year. So if there's 52 weeks Mm -hmm. in the year, we moved 35 different times, just to give you a little perspective. And that was completely exhausting. (laughs) It was a Mm -hmm. lot of fun because we got to do this huge loop of the U.S. and see... All kinds of beautiful places from deserts with cactus to prairies and mountains with high elevations and snow-capped peaks. But um, it does take a lot out of you having to move all the time. So what we prefer to do is find a place where we can stay put for a month or more at a time. And then explore that area and if we want to um, we can take little side trips from there. So we do base camp and then take forays out from the base camp.
1: Do you ever miss having a home though like bricks and mortar and just for a bit of a break? It's almost like you need to book a villa or something for two weeks just to, <laughs> just to have a, a sofa and a, and a bed and um, and a little holiday from traveling.
2: Well our travel trailer, our house, caravan as you say in the UK, is actually pretty spacious and quite comfortable. We have uh, a queen-size bed, a full bathroom, a shower, a couch, a kitchen uh, that has a stove and an oven. Um, The only things that I really miss are a washing machine to wash our clothes because I either wash them by hand in a a bucket (laughs) or (laughs) use a public laundromat and then maybe a dishwasher would be nice. And unlimited water. (laughs) Unlimited water is the other big thing because we usually when we're camping in these remote kind of situations, we don't have a water spigot nearby. So sometimes it's a natural source like a creek. And then other times I actually have to drive somewhere where public water from a spigot is available
1: and are there plans Jess for for you and Byron to start a family and maybe bringing a little Jess into this world
2: (laughs) uh no not really the traditional life has never appealed to me (laughs) um (laughs) hence why we're not yet married and we don't live in a house and uh I don't have a very strong drive to procreate. I think that if we get to a point in our lives where we have settled down and feel like it's the right time to take that step, I would prefer adopting and giving a child a chance to live a really nice life with horses and animals and love that they might not be able to have.
1: Oh that sounds lovely. Um but you don't need to settle down to have a baby Jess. You can still take your baby on the road. It's okay. They can go traveling <laughs> with you. I know this cuz friends of mine bought a horse box. When they bought it I got so excited. I thought, yeah, finally I can take my horse somewhere. But no, they made it into a home. Um <laughs> and they've had a baby and they travel all they travel all over Europe. They don't have horses. Um but they uh, yeah their little one is is very much grown up in, in nature and um, and it's beautiful. She was a nurse and it's just a lovely lifestyle. They, they learn so much. I'm very envious of you, Jess. You're, you're super brave and it sounds like you're very content and just, oh, I don't even know what the word is, um, so happy within yourself. You're really calm. You've got a lovely vibe about you um, that I think we have in modern life there's there's so much going on all the time that sometimes it's nice to just take a moment and just be and and hearing your story is is that it's really lovely it's taking getting the most out of what we have around us you know nature and The animals that we have and just enjoying them a little bit more rather than always looking for the next thing. You know, what are we going to do next? What's the next competition? How high can I jump? How can I do this? Or like me going the other way, it's like, oh, we'll just talk to each other, me and the horse. We don't ever go riding. (laughs) I don't have time for it. You know, I think
2: it's very important to analyze your life and your desires and really figure out what makes you happy. I feel like society is not necessarily set up to look out for you as an individual and as a human. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I, I grew up in the New York metropolitan area where high powered careers and money were extremely important and I completely fell into that mentality until my mom passed away and she was only 67 when she died and she thought that she had worked her entire life and been an entrepreneur and built her business and was finally nearing the age of retirement where she would get to take a break and enjoy her horses and that was ripped away from her so that really opened up my eyes to to what I feel is the meaning of life. And that is fulfillment, personal fulfillment. So I was not always this content and this happy and stress-free. I, I, was, I was like everyone else, working a job and stressed and not sleeping and not eating and not taking care of myself properly. And I just put a stop mm-hmm. to it. <laughs> and like I said, our, our lifestyle now is not free of challenges, but it's, it's what makes us happy.
1: On that note, Jess, I'm going to say thank you so much for your time. How can we follow you? Uh, we want, definitely want to keep up with your story. So you're on Facebook, Instagram. Uh, what are your handles?
2: Yeah, so um, my blog is rideclimb.com. And there you can find our stories about places we've been and our experience in this lifestyle, as well as the podcast called Happy Trails, where I talk about trail riding destinations and everything of interest to trail riders. And then um, on Facebook and Instagram, you can find me under Ride Climb, as well as my personal Facebook page is Jessica Isbrecht
1: brilliant thank you I'll share those on our horse hour um, Twitter Facebook and Instagram as well Um, and include hashtag horse hour on some of those Jess so that you know in our networking hour everybody can see what you're up to we love photos we love videos and um, seeing what you're up to and then maybe we can check in again in a few months time okay sounds great thank you so much for having me Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. As always, you can catch previous episodes of the Horse Hour podcast on our website. Just head to horsehour.co.uk or, of course, on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, even on TikTok now as well. So you can check out some of our horse videos on that. We love seeing your photos. Tag us at horsehour or hashtag Hour. And I hope you're having a really good week with your horse. And I'll speak to you soon.